Well, man, I mean, that, I, I thought last night, I thought, I thought the first night of praise was good, and then I thought last night was good, and then, man, what in the world? It just keeps getting better and better. So, man, you guys are awesome. Um, praise the Lord. I, I, I am curious just to make sure Lee and Code are in here. I, oh, there he is. All right. We don't need to get a switch? All right, all right. Lee, you here? Okay, I, yeah, just, just, just double, just double checking. I, you know, you never know with those guys. So, um, man, so listen, did, did you love the, I saw the light? <laughs> How awesome was that? But listen, I, I think you guys will agree with me. There is a way to make that better. There is a way to make that better. And the way to make that better is if Sam Miles would play his banjo. If, how about a little father and daughter? I mean, you have the banjo and the fiddle? Come on. Like, next year, Sam, I don't, you know, I'm just saying. That's, I, yeah, it, it just would have made it better. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll, we'll, just leave it, we'll just leave it at that. Something to pray about, something to consider. But, it, <laughs> fair enough. Um, well, it's great to see everybody back uh, on this final night. I know we do have, you know, more stuff planned for the mornings. Uh, tomorrow morning, this is our final evening and, and my final time up here. So, you know, we'll see if Lee will be able to bring it to close it out. You know, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. If there's no pressure there. See if he can bring it home tomorrow. Um, but I, I, he's going to be great. I, he'll bring it home stronger than ever, I know that. But I do want you to know how much I've enjoyed this week and, and how good it's been for me and my family. I know I got the better end of this deal being able to be here with you guys. Um, so it's been awesome. So thank you. Um, thanks to Sam and Alan and Dan and all the pastors. And thanks for, for doing this and inviting me to be a part of it and allowing my my family to be here. I do. My, my wife and daughter have been with me this week, Jennifer and Kate, and so that's been great. We do have two older sons, Tanner and Jackson, but they're adults and working and, and got lives, so they're back, they're back in Ohio. So, but it's been fun, uh, the three of us uh, being here, so, so thank you for that. You guys truly are the best, um, and I mean it. It's, it's my family, so I love it. But, uh, but tonight, we're going to close out my time here back in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah 13, and in this you know, final bit of business, so to speak, we're going to talk about dealing with decisions. That's the, that's the title of our message tonight, and that's the theme for the night, which is decision. Because um, we all have to make them, and some are more important than the others. And what we're going to see tonight is that the children of Israel that had reestablished the city of Jerusalem, reestablished the worship uh, in the temple, and, and reestablished protection for the city. Um, and everything that Nehemiah and those leaders did to kind of try to set things up, they made some bad decisions uh, to end up at a bad place. So tonight's message is a warning. And Nehemiah is a very interesting book in, in that light because the first, the first 12 chapters are all pretty much on an upward trajectory. It's just sort of good thing after good thing. And you see Nehemiah gets the burden and 
And he, he goes back to the city and he surveys the land and he gets a plan and he puts it in place and, and opposition starts to form. But man, they build and they fight and they, they stay true to the mission and they accomplish the job of getting the walls built and the door set in 52 days. God did an amazing work. And, and then they turn to the people and that's where we started in Nehemiah chapter 7 just to protect what they have. And in chapter 8, the word of God is preached. And in chapter 9, they repent. And in chapter 10, they sign a covenant to do the, the work of the Lord, the way of the Lord, and they put their name down. And in, in chapter 11, uh, you know, we saw last night that they got to work and they applied all that, that they had committed to. And then in, in chapter 12, we're skipping over chapter 12, but in, in chapter 12, they dedicate the walls and the, the gates and they have a Thanksgiving service. And then there's chapter 13. <laughs> in chapter 13, isn't the same. Chapter 13 is a letdown uh, in this book because after they take time to dedicate the walls and, and give thanks for everything the Lord has done, Nehemiah leaves them in, in a good spot and, and, and he leaves Jerusalem. He goes back to his post in Babylon and not much time after Nehemiah was gone, everything goes crazy. And you see just a few bad decisions here and there or in some case, even one bad decision, can put a quick end to years of good decisions and good work. And that was certainly true of the group Nehemiah was dealing with, and, and really the, this book ends in a very sobering way, and one that we need to take careful note of, because here's one sad truth about life, and I, I put this on your outline sheet, that success today does not guarantee success tomorrow. Success today does not guarantee success tomorrow. And, and that has, this is something that has been on my heart and it's, it's been on my heart for my church, First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia. Again, it's been around 165 years and, and I've been burdened about, you know, just the future of it. And, and, th and that's what the Certainty Conference that James announced, that's, that's why, you know, that's our theme and, and what we're going to be talking about. And much of what I've been talking about that this week is that's where God has me and that's where my heart is. And it's, you know, as individual churches and as a fellowship, you know, it may seem like that things are in a really good spot, and, and they are. And praise the Lord for that. But success today does not guarantee success tomorrow. And I think we all know that that, uh, that, that statement applies across the board. And I think we could even probably pick out people in our minds that that statement applies to. You know, the, the people that were around and on fire and doing, you know, serving the Lord and working, and, and yet they're not here with us now you know, for whatever reason. Maybe that statement applies to the, to the person that you see in the mirror, even if you are here. And we talked about it last night, to, and Lee talked about it this morning. You know, you can be present and not there. That's why God told Moses, come up to the mount and be there. Those are two different things. And so you may be here and not here. Regression is a real thing in life, and regression is what we see in the children of Israel, Nehemiah chapter 13. And it all comes, very, comes down very simply to the decisions they made. And, and listen, the trajectory of your life and the trajectory of my life, and for that matter, our churches and our fellowship, it all comes down to the decisions that we make on a daily basis basis. 
You know, we've been talking in the mornings just about that, that slippery slope and, and seeing that slide. And, and we, we need to be careful to make the right decisions every single day. Every day we're faced with them, decisions, decisions, decisions. They say, you know, what's the three most important things in real estate, right? Location, location, location. Right, it's the decisions, decisions, the decisions, decisions to show up, decisions to sacrifice, decisions to serve. And the decisions we make, they can lead to great benefits. That's what we've seen so far in the first two nights, but they can also lead to devastating consequences. They can lead to great benefits, but they can also lead to devastating consequences. In Bible terms, this is called the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. Say, be not deceived, God's not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So you need to know tonight that the decisions and the choices you make every day have ramifications beyond the moment you're making them. And that's what I want to look at in these final verses of the book of Nehemiah tonight. And to, and to bring all of this full circle, I'm going to end my time with you with the same question that we started with on Wednesday night. And if the Lord tarries, will your church and will the Living Faith Fellowship still be standing in another 50 years, in another 10 years? You're standing on the truth of God's Word, and I told you Wednesday night that we can all hope and we can all assume that it will, but hopes and assumptions are not enough. We all need to take ownership and responsibility to ensure that they do, in fact, remain. Adhering to God's word, understanding biblical authority, standing on the truth of the King James Bible. And, and like I said, like I told you Wednesday night, whether you like it or not, you all have a part in what becomes of your church. And by extension, our fellowship is for all of us. And the fact is, our churches and our fellowship we can't just get comfortable with success. Everything had been good up in, in Jerusalem, up to what we're going to see tonight. They had defeated enemies. They had taken one victory lap after another. And yet it all came crumbling down. And we, got, we have to continue to make the right decisions. You have to continue to make the right decisions in your life and for your family and as Leaders and pastors, we need to continue to make the right decisions for our churches. And that's much easier to do when we stay together and stay strong, centered around God's word. And we can help each other in those decisions. And our churches can help each other. And that's a good thing. I think we can learn a lot in that regard. And I think we can take a warning from the bad decisions we see in these last few verses of the book of Nehemiah. But, you know, we're, we're going to try to... Um, not as, as depressing as this sounds, we're going to try to leave you on an upswing because we're going to see some bad decisions and we're going to talk about, you know, what those bad decisions impact in our life. But we're also going to let you know to how to make proper corrections because maybe you've started to make some bad decisions. I, I, I want to tell you how to get it right also because we see that from Nehemiah because uh, he comes back. Nehemiah has been gone. Nehemiah leaves Jerusalem, goes back to Babylon, but he comes back because he doesn't like what he's hearing. So let's look at these decisions the children of Israel are making at this time, and then we'll pray that, that God uses his word in our life tonight. So Nehemiah chapter 13, we're going to start all the way down in verse 23. We'll read down through the end of the chapter, verse 31. So follow along with me. 
In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and of Ammon and of Moab. This is Nehemiah speaking. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. I mean, Nehemiah, he's an interesting dude. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sembalat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, every one in his business. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, O oh my God, for good. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just, just thank you so much for tonight. Thank you so much for this week and just what you've done and, and, and man, the morning sessions and and, and what you've done, and just the time we've had just to relax and spend time with each other. And Lord, I pray that, that you've also worked in the hearts of people in the evenings, that your word has done that work. And, and Lord, I pray that you do that again tonight. Um, do a work that, that only you can do. And Lord, we're, we're just so thankful for just, man, the, the, the people that have given many hours just to, to put this on and prepare and prepare the worship. And and lead in that, and, and, and um, Lord, we're just so thankful. But Lord, I pray that you come uh, among us tonight, and um, Lord, we pray that, as I have every night, that your Holy Spirit has free reign in our lives, your Holy Spirit has free reign in our hearts, and Lord, we hear, we have an ear to listen to you tonight, and Lord, if there's anything in our life that needs change, Lord, that we would do it, and um, starting with me. And, and Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, and I pray that you are honored and you are glorified through it. I pray that your word is exalted to the place that it deserves um, above everything. And Lord, we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in these verses we just read, Nehemiah comes back, and he's, he's dealing with and addressing some sin that entered the camp after his departure. And he if you study the entire chapter, we're only looking at these last few verses, but he addresses three separate sins um, dealing with what they were doing in the temple and how they weren't adhering to the Sabbath earlier in the chapter. And now at the end, he's dealing with the biggest one and the one that had the most negative impact. And this was the sin um, of the children of Israel not separating from the Gentiles. And, and they were allowing mixed marriages, and there was a problem that this caused. This was something that God had commanded them against. And, and, and when you study the, the, the mixed multitudes in the Old Testament with the children of Israel, it's never a good thing. And, and I, don't have, I don't have these verses um, on your outline sheet, but, but I'm going to read a, a couple verses to you uh, in Exodus chapter 12, because we, we complain a lot about, or, or we, we note a lot about how the children of Israel complained, right, all throughout, the, all, all throughout their time in the wilderness. And, and you know, uh, to be fair, we would have too. I mean, it was, it was the wilderness and long time and, you know, stuff like that. But, but in Exodus chapter 12, as they're leaving, so Pharaoh's finally have, had, had enough. 
right? And, and, and so after the, Jesus had come through and, and killed the firstborn, and he tells him to leave, and I just want you to listen as they were leaving, there's some small details that we don't always see. And in verse, Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, it says, and the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And verse 38, listen to what it says, and a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. You see, it wasn't only the children of Israel that left Egypt. A mixed multitude went with them. That means that there were those in Egypt. There were Gentiles that went with them. And then if you go over to Numbers chapter 11, while they're in the wilderness, these, these things aren't coincidental. And we need to take note of them because in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4 and it says and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said who shall give us flesh to eat we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic but now our soul is dried away there is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes and do you see what happened? Verse 4, it says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again. You see, the mixed multitude was leading them in complaining. And what were they complaining about? They were complaining that manna wasn't enough. The manna that God had provided them wasn't enough for them. And manna in the Bible, if you don't know, we won't take the time to go there, but you can study Exodus chapter 16, and manna very clearly in the Bible is a picture of the Word of God. And we know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And our sustenance for life should come in, in the, through the sufficiency of Scripture, but the mix, in the, for the mixed multitude, the Word of God isn't enough. And what, I'm going to tell you, there's a, there's a problem with the mixed multitude in the church today. And, and, and we gotta, we got to handle that, and we have to address that. And that was the Old Testament, and the mixed multitude, and, and, and what turned in and, with Nehemiah into mixed marriages. And again, that was the Old Testament, but as most of you know, we have a similar command. To, it has nothing to do with physical marriages, but we have a command to not be unequally yoked. We shouldn't be intimately involved in a relationship with someone. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should not be intimately involved in a relationship with someone that is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says very clearly, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion had light with darkness. So you have the Old Testament, you have marriages with the Gentiles and the mixed multitude of, of Gentiles intermingling with the children of Israel. And we have the New Testament command to not be unequally yoked. But, but here's where these two prohibitions come together. The reasoning behind them is the same. So they play out differently. They play out, you know, with physical in the Old Testament, spiritual in the New Testament, as most things do. But the reason behind them the same, God knew that if Israel intermarried with other pagan nations, they would pull their hearts and their focus away from serving him. 
Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4 says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them, with the Gentiles. Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. And listen, when God tells us as Christians, as believers, to not be unequally yoked, it's for the same reason. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? You see, the risk of defilement is too high. And both for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and for us in the church today, there are consequences that come from making decisions that are contrary to the Word of God and not separating ourselves from what the Bible commands us to separate ourselves from. And that's true of all decisions we make that are contrary to the Word of God, not only regarding separation, but but this is a big one. And you think, okay, yeah, 100%, amen. I'm not married to a lost person. I'm not planning on dating a lost person. This isn't really an issue for me. But I, I want you to think of it in a broader context tonight than just marriage or, or other relationships. We need to think of it in the context with, with separation from the world in general. And right, we know that we have to be in the world. We have a mission to the world. We are to be in the world, winning them to Christ, but we're not to be of the world, right? And there is a risk. And, and, and that, my friends, in the church is one of the main issues today. Paul told Timothy that, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. We looked at these verses last night, but I'm going to read them to you again. This know also that in the last days, the days that we live in today, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And these were in the church. He says, from such turn away or separate, because they're worldly. And we're supposed to be separate. We're supposed to separate from those people. But listen, all too often, we are those people. This described in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. We love the pleasures of this world and all the goods that it has to offer. And the issue isn't the pleasures or the goods unless they're explicitly sinful. The real issue, it's our hearts. Do those pleasures and do those goods pull us away from following him and serving him, just like he told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7? What is it going to do? What does it do to your heart? And if it does pull your heart away, that's something to deal with. Because when we decide not to, and we decide to try to ride that fence, there are consequences to pay. And those consequences can affect a number of areas in your life. And that is exactly what we see in our text tonight. And and, and here's where it starts. First of all, our decisions affect our family. Our decisions affect our family. And this is particularly true for fathers and mothers, certainly starting with the fathers. And our decisions affect our family. Look back at verses, 20, look, uh, verses 23 and 24. 
In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And listen, this is not the first time these groups, this Ashdod and Ammon and, and Moab, had shown up in the book of Nehemiah or in the Old Testament. These are enemies of Israel. They were around during the construction of the wall in the first half of Nehemiah in direct opposition to the work of the Lord. These very groups hated what the children of Israel were doing in Jerusalem. Nehemiah 4.7, for example, says, But it came to pass that when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, had been built, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. They didn't like it. They didn't like what God was doing in Jerusalem. They didn't like that he was using the children of Israel to reestablish his worship in his city. And they were mad about it. And they were mad that God was using his people. And yet, the children of Israel were somehow able to look past that. And listen, did you know that the world hates us too? The world hates us as Christians. Now, it'll, it, it'll love us if, if we're not serving the Lord, if we're not doing the work of the Lord. But when the children of Israel were building the wall that God told them to do, they hated it. They were mad about it. And the world hates us too. I tell my church this all the time because this is the day and age we live in and no church is immune. We fall in love with the world way too easy. And the world hates you. It hates you. You have to hear me tonight. John 15, 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So if you are a Christian... The Bible says that the world hates you, and if that's true, which it is, the question is, why do we love it so much? How do we get trapped into this thinking of letting the world in when it hates us, when it doesn't want us serving the Lord? And the answer is because Satan is the ultimate deceiver, and he got the fruit to sound and look good to Eve. And he's done the exact same thing to so many Christians today. And many folks have bought it because it sounds good and it looks good and it smells good and it tastes good, but please listen to me, it is not good. It is not good for you. And that is especially true when it comes to our families. And what is really important and what is according to his word and, and what isn't. Because even within the church, I believe there is much confusion on things like traditional roles in a marriage and family and parenting styles and discipline methodology and what our kids need to be well-rounded and all of it. And there's a lot of information out there that you can find and you can read on all sorts of topics. But if it is of the world, can we trust it? I don't think we can. And I don't think we should. 
The world hates us. And the children of Israel knew that they shouldn't trust their enemies and that marrying the Gentiles was not good for them. In fact, it, they, they knew it so well, they made a promise to God not to do it just three chapters earlier. Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, they claved to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And here they are, just a few years later, in a big old mess. Because they let the world in. Man, it's subtle. And it's dangerous. And we have to protect the church from letting too much of the world in. Listen, maybe I'm just getting old and cranky. I don't know. But I I believe this from the bottom of my heart. The the more I see and the more I experience, the more I see in the people of my church, if the, if the world thinks it's a good idea, I bet you it's bad. And if the world thinks it's a bad idea, it's probably good. And there's a lot, I got a lot of ideas on how you should raise your family and what you should do and how you should spend your time. And they'll tell you all about it. And listen, here's what we all need to understand as it relates to what's going on here in the book of Nehemiah and what goes on with us as we mingle with the world. You see, their lack, of separ- their lack of separation wasn't just a bad idea. It was a sin against God. It wasn't just a bad idea. It was a sin. And that's true of us as well. When we decide to allow the things of this world to pull us away from the things of the Lord, that is sin. And we need to call it what it is. We have, we have real nifty ways of saying things that Make it sound like it's not sin. No, it, call it what it is. Call it what the Bible calls it. It's not just finding a balance in life. It's not just taking time for me right now. It's sin. And sin always has consequences. Sin always leads to death. And in our text this morning, the consequences affected the children first. Because verse 24 says that their children could not speak in the Jews' language. That means they didn't know Hebrew, which means they couldn't read or understand the Word of God for themselves. And what a shame that is. But listen, the sad truth is that the American in, within the American church, we have raised and are raising a generation of kids that know the language of the land, but not the language of the Lord. And I'm speaking about Christianity in general. I'm not necessarily talking about any specific families here. I'm also not talking about what goes on within our churches. I know that our children's ministries and our youth ministries of of our churches do a great job of teaching our kids the Word of God. And praise the Lord for that. We just have to keep it up. We can't let it slip. And you should thank the Lord for the leaders and the people that work with your kids. Even those that are doing so this week. But we also should not lull ourselves into thinking we're exempt from this happening in our midst if we don't protect what we have. So this is a cautionary note. We have to prepare the next generation. Because please know that the world is antagonistic to what we teach and what we speak. 
they have a different language. And, and they are teaching our kids that there is nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage, and that you can't define gender, and that truth is subjective. But the Bible says something very different on all of those issues. So let me ask you, what language do you want your kids speaking? And here's the sad truth that I get caught up in as well. Listen, if you ask the average, you know, young male sports fan about how good Patrick Mahomes' 2022 season was, maybe the best ever. <laughs> it was really good. And how many Super Bowls he's going to win? It's going to be a lot. <laughs> they can talk your ear off. And I can too. You can ask Kenny Morgan. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. But listen, if you ask those same kids what verses they would use to lead someone to the Lord, can they talk as in-depth about that? What language do you want your kids speaking? If you ask the average you know, local high school student what the latest TikTok trends are, they could probably teach you every dance move to every song. But if you ask them to explain premillennialism, you know, you might as well be speaking Chinese. What language do you want your kids speaking? And when I say that, I, I, I know there's some good church parents that think, you know, explain premillennialism. I mean, come on. Doctrinal studies, those sorts of things, that, that's above their head. You're asking too much. Well, if you think that, listen to me for a second. Because they go to school and they learn about sine and cosine and tangent and geometry, and then they have to go to biology class and recite the life and domain and kingdom and phylum and class and order and family and genus of species for various animals, plants, and prokaryotes. And then they go to American history and have to write an eight-page essay on the three primary economic, economic causes of the War of 1812. And the truth is, if they don't get an A on that paper, you're upset because they have to be on the honor roll if they're going to get that scholarship. Listen, when it comes to our teenagers, I don't think we have a level problem. I don't think that this book is above their heads. I think we have a language problem. Because we have decided that the things of this world are more important than the things of the Lord. And I ask the same question of you. Are those, are those issues true of you? Do you have a language problem? to where you can speak way more about the things of this world than you can the things of the Lord? If so, you need to fix that. And so when it comes to the Word of God, we can't and we shouldn't water it down. If we want to train the next generation, we have to lift it up. And we can trust the Holy Spirit to teach anyone of any age what it is that they need to know for their life. Do you know what language our little kids, very tiny kids, need to speak, even the very little ones? They need to speak the language of Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Are you teaching them to speak that? Because here's what you have to understand. It's not just about today. And it's not just about you. It's about the future, and it's about how they view God. Are they speaking the language of the Lord? Because as parents, you are the picture of God in their life right now. 
And if you are neglecting Ephesians 6, 1, then you are teaching your children that obedience is optional with you. And if you're teaching them that obedience is optional with you, then you are teaching them, whether you know it or not, that obedience is optional with God. So instead of receiving the language of the Lord on the issue of biblical authority, you're teaching them the language of the world. This stuff is serious, and it starts when they're this little. Do you care about that? Do you care about giving the next generation what it is that God has given you? I hope so. I hope you do. We need to speak God's language in our homes and with our kids, and of course that means speaking the word of God. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. And there is absolutely a difference in God's language and the world's language. 1 John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world. And the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, there's a difference. And, and you know, listen, I get it. We have people of all ages in here. And you're thinking, some of you might be thinking, man, you know, I, I wish I'd heard this 25 years ago whatever. It's, it's too late now. And, and to that, I'd say it's never too late. Start today. Maybe your kids don't even live in your house anymore. Maybe you don't even see them much anymore. Well, you can pray for them. You can do right by the Lord when you're around them. You can apologize to them and tell, you, tell them what you wish you had done. You can still influence your grandkids or the kids in your church. I don't know your situation, but I know that God still works. And I know that doing things his way still works. And I know that his language is still true. Start speaking it today. And listen, this principle of our decision is not only being about today, but also the future is exactly why I can talk about family issues and it still relates to singles. Because the decisions you make today impact your future. One of the great tricks of Satan is to, first of all, try to get you to focus on your past and all the mistakes you've made in your past and get you to dwell on that and wallow in that and not be able to move past and, and trust in, in what God saved you from. Or then just to get you to focus on your present and make decisions that satisfy you now and satisfy your flesh now to the exclusion of your future. Don't do that. God does want you thinking ahead and looking ahead. Philippians chapter 3 shows us this principle. Verse 13 and 14, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this is the one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk more about this later, but it is the biblical philosophy that, that you need to understand in order to make the right decisions today to set up future generations, including your own. But not only do your decisions affect our family, which they certainly do, but second, our decisions affect our faith. They affect those around us, those that, are that we're responsible for, but they affect us too. Not just our family, they affect us and they affect our faith. Because look at what Nehemiah says to the children of Israel in verses 26 and 27 of Nehemiah 13. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? 
Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God and marrying strange wives? So what Nehemiah does is he reminds them of King Solomon and King Solomon's sin in this area of his life and how this transgression against God affected his faith. And it's absolutely, at least in my estimation, no coincidence that the example is Solomon. Solomon said there was no, or Nehemiah said there was no king like him. And he was beloved of his God, and that's, that's absolutely true. He's a special guy. And he pictures Christ and, and the, as the, in, in the millennial reign of Christ. And you know, the reign of, of Israel during, during Solomon's reign was, it was a time of great peace. You know, David was, was war. Man, Solomon comes in, it's, it's, the high, it's the pinnacle of Israel. And he pictures Christ in that. Listen to what the Bible says about him in 1 Kings 3.12. Behold, I have done according to thy words. And this is, this is God answering Solomon's prayer. God says, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither, shall, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Um, Nehemiah was right. There was no one like it unto him. That's what God said. Solomon's a special character. The Bible says he was the wisest man to ever live because God gave him that wisdom because of he, he asked for it in humility. And when he was dealing you know, with, with the baby, the, the two women that were claiming to have the baby and earlier in 1 Kings 3, and it says he had an understanding heart. That's a key phrase that you want to pay attention to. Because we know that his decisions turned his heart away from the Lord. And that affected his faith. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 11, starting at verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in unto them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart. After their God, Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom and the abominations of the Ammonites. I mean, these are bad things. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. If you know anything about Molech, I mean, the worst abomination that could happen. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And what you need to get from that is you can really primarily see, you see it throughout, but you can see it really in verse 4. That his strange wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord as God. And then you see the result of it in verse 6. He went not fully after the Lord because his faith was affected. And, and again, there's, 
people that we know, all of us, maybe, maybe you're one of them, that used to go fully after the Lord. That's a great descriptor. But now, not so much. The hearts have been turned away. Our heart was affected. And his heart, Solomon's heart was affected so much, he quit following the Lord and instead started sacrificing under their gods. Isn't it crazy how quickly a smart man can turn really dumb? I mean, the wisest man ever to live is the one doing these dumb things. I have seen it many times in my life. It just takes one or two wrong decisions, and you're on the road you never thought you would be on. And we've seen it with the prodigal son in the, in the mornings and, and, and the brother, both prodigals. But listen, if it can happen to Solomon, a king unlike any other, it can happen to anyone. It certainly can happen to any of us. Like it certainly happened to me. He was the wisest man ever to live, and he made these dumb decisions. And Solomon, again, who man, was, uh, who's a picture of Christ at certain times in his life, also, by the way, a picture of the Antichrist at other times in his life. Listen, he is notoriously missing from Hebrews chapter 11. The, the chapter that recounts the faith of those Old Testament heroes. Solomon's not in there. No mention. David is. David made all sorts of mistakes too. David committed adultery, had her husband killed. He's there. Samuel's there. The prophets are there. Not Solomon. And that alone doesn't mean his faith was affected, but that's the chapter that recounts the, the men of faith. But we can know that his faith was affected because our faith is tied to our heart in Scripture. Our faith is tied to our heart. And those strange wives and the world turned his heart away. And, and listen to me. The world will turn our heart away too. Because our faith is, a, is attached to our heart. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love. In the context of the gospel being, being made available to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 15, verses 8 and 9 says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. See, faith is tied to our hearts. Hebrews 10, says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, when our hearts are pulled away because there's something that we love about the world, our faith is affected. And listen, if you don't get anything out of this message, you need to get this. The world's calling, and it is pulling at your heart every single day. Your desires. And if you think that you can answer that call and, and decide to kind of, you know, mingle, you know, you just want to mingle a little bit. Single, want to mingle. You mingle with the world. And you want to do that and you want to keep your faith strong at the same time and you want to silo your life and say, okay, well, you know, I probably shouldn't be doing this over here, but, you know, that's not going to affect my ministry over here. 
Au contraire. You, you can't separate. It's, it's, it's one spot. It's your heart. You can't silo them. You're, you can't separate that. You can't live like the world on one side and, and, and try to love the Lord and follow him on the other side. It just doesn't work that way. And when our faith wavers, there are further ramifications because third, our decisions affect our future. Our decisions affect our future. And we've talked about this some already with respect to our future in this life, but this life isn't all there is. And in verse 29, when Nehemiah asked God to remember them for their sinful deeds, it points to something more. Nehemiah 13, 29, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Listen, that's that's strong verse there. But this isn't only an Old Testament concept. Paul does the same thing. He makes the same type of statements. 2 Timothy 4.14 says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. You know what Paul's saying? He's asking the Lord to remember Alexander the coppersmith and to reward him accordingly. And that's interesting. It's an interesting verse that we don't have time to talk about. But it's interesting. But here's what we do need to understand. The Lord will remember and the Lord will reward accordingly. The Lord keeps records, remember? He remembers everything. And he'll remember those that, that don't serve him, and he'll remember those that do. And we will get our due reward because there is coming a day that we will stand before him and give an account for this life that we lived. And that reward might be gold, silver, and precious stones if you invest your life in the word of God and the souls of men and worship of him. Or it might be fire unto loss. But but don't don't make this mistake. We will all get what we deserve. I mean, you know, we all deserve hell. But if we're saved by grace, we'll get what out of eternity what we gave out of this life. And much of the life to come, or at least our fate in it, is dependent upon what we do and how we live in this life. Now, if you're saved, we have eternal security. Praise the Lord for that. If you're saved, you're not going to lose your salvation. But your eternity, or your time in the millennium can be, you know, it, it, you can't have some issues. Because we are going to live forever, and our role in what's to come is largely determined by the decisions we make and what James calls this vapor of a life and what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 4, a moment. So please understand the importance of this vapor, of this moment. It can't be overemphasized because it affects the life to come. Our decisions today absolutely have an effect on our future. And back to Nehemiah, look at what it was that their decision caused. It defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood. And Malachi tells us what this really means. So Malachi, you know, if if you understand the chronology of the Old Testament, Malachi lines up chronologically with Nehemiah. They're, They're fairly close. So he's dealing, Malachi was dealing with some of the same things that Nehemiah was dealing with here in chapter 13. Listen to what the Lord said through Malachi in in Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. 
And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and the and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and then turned many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And this, again, as all these verses do, they have a doctrinal kind of uh, context, but historically, you know, we're lining it up with Nehemiah, and it says, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he was the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but ye departed out of the way, and you've caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, the priesthood, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, the covenant of the priesthood involved the faithful giving of God's word, the covenant of the priesthood involved the faithful giving of God's word. Verse 6 in Malachi chapter 2 says that the law of truth was to be in their mouth. Verse 7 says the priest's lips should keep knowledge. But in verse 8, the covenant was defiled or corrupted when they departed out of the way and caused many to stumble at the law. And the people stumbled because the priests weren't doing their job. They weren't giving out God's word to the people. They weren't worshiping by taking appropriate actions like we learned this morning. And, and listen, we talked about this last night. There's no longer a temple that we go serve at. In the New Testament, as a church, we are the temple. And, and they're no longer priests because we are priests. Right? It's 1 Peter 2.5. And you also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We talked about this last night. We can offer sacrifices, and we're to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. And our job as priests is to point people to the high priest, to Christ. We are to invest the word of God into the souls of men. And this is especially true of pastors and leaders. Of course, that is our job. We learned about the roles that we have this morning. But it applies to all of us at this priesthood level. And the world and all of our enemies, they don't want us doing that. They don't want us investing God's word, faithfully investing God's word into the souls of men. They want the priesthood defiled. They want us defiled. So they keep calling. And they keep offering distractions, right? I should have I brought the deck of cards up. We could have done that some more, Code. Man, if I had only thought. Even good things, just not the main thing of investing the word of God into the souls of men. And when we decide to take up the world on what they're offering, our future is bound to suffer. Because we're not investing our time and our talents and our treasure. We're not investing the word of God into the souls of men. We're not showing up to sacrifice and to serve Listen, that's what this life is about. This entire life is an investment project. This vapor, this moment, it's an investment project. And Jesus told us exactly how we are to do it. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. 
That's what we need to make our investments in eternal things. The Word of God and the souls of men. We need to make the right decisions. We're faced with them every day. And, 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 and there's an enemy on one side just trying to keep you and me from that. From taking God's Word and putting it into the life of someone else to evangelize and to disciple. Just wants us getting involved in a lot of other things. A lot of other good things. They're just not the main thing. They're just not the thing that God has actually called us to do in this life. But when you do that, when you invest in the eternal things, when you lay up treasures in heaven, man, you're, there'll be a reward waiting. There are consequences to pay for bad decisions in your life, and there are rewards waiting for good decisions. So listen, if, if this describes you at any level, I've got good news for you. Because there's also correction. There's a way to correct any mistakes you've made. And we see that from the example of Nehemiah in this passage and the steps that he takes. So he comes back, and he, he, you know, he comes back kicking tail. And, and here's what we see. This is the first step of correction. And that's to contend. This is you got to fight back. You got to fight against what's fighting against you. It's exactly what Nehemiah did in verse 25. He said, And I contended with them. He didn't take it, he didn't just let it go. He contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto your sons, nor take any daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. And this is a great verse. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to dealing with people, apparently we don't have the same freedom in the New Testament as Nehemiah had in the Old Testament. Sometimes I wish we did. But Nehemiah, who was their leader and their governor, he now comes back and is acting as judge. All right? So you have to understand that. There, it, it is interesting because if, if, you, you know, if you read commentaries, many of them, nearly all of them, will talk about how Nehemiah you know, was, was wrong in this, that, that he shouldn't have done this. What he did here was wrong. And that's, that's just because they don't understand the Bible and, 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 and apparently they don't study very well. Because... He, came, he comes back as judge. He's, he's judging them. And under the law, corporal punishment, even for adults, was legitimate. Deuteronomy 25.2 says, And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face, according to his fault, by a certain number. Listen, that, that was according to the law. That was the Old Testament. Again, we can't do that today, but, you know, they could then. And listen, they'll even, people will say, man, it was, it, was, it was really wrong for Nehemiah to curse them. Well, he, he wasn't cussing them out. That is not what I say. You, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. He was just doing what they called upon themselves in chapter 10. We read Nehemiah 10, 29. Let me remind you. They claved to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and statutes. You see, they were agreeing in chapter 10. They agreed to be cursed by God if they didn't keep their promise. 
and they didn't keep their promise. So Nehemiah was bringing a curse upon them through his words. He was reminding them of that promise. And even the pulling out of hair, that was something that they did during a time of anguish and sin. Ezra did it to himself when Israel did the exact same thing in his day. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves. This is a problem they had. They have taken for the daughters from themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. And Ezra said, And when I heard this saying, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down in stony. So Ezra did it. It's the same language. He plucked it out. Ezra did it to himself. I, I like Nehemiah's version better. The offenders should be the ones that have to suffer. But here's the point to all this. Nehemiah took drastic action to bring purity in their lives. He took drastic action. And listen, the truth is sometimes we need to do the same thing. And we need to contend with ourselves. That is the fight we are in. And, and this is another completely different study, but, but there's, you know, there's, the Bible talks about how we have three different enemies, right? the world, our flesh, and the devil, right? If, if you study Scripture, there's also three commands that were given in, in spiritual warfare, and it's stand, and it's fight, and it's flee. And there's, there's some comparisons that, that run in there. But what, what you're going to, if you study that out, the fighting, almost every reference, I, I won't say every because because I, I don't know that I've looked at all of them, but nearly every re reference, the fight that we're in is with our flesh. So we're, we're to stand against the devil. The, the devil actually can't do anything to us unless God gives him per permission, but we're, we're to stand, right? And, and the other is to resist, to, to resist the devil, which, on, which just means withstand. But anyway, the fight that we're in is with ourself. We're gonna fight the flesh. And that's a fight, that's a battle that you're in every day. And we need to contend with ourselves and sometimes that takes drastic actions and maybe you don't pull out your own hair. I, I recommend not doing that. But maybe you do need to chase some people away and you need to leave some people that, that maybe you thought were friends. Nehemiah did that in verse 28. He said, and one of the sons of Jodiah, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. And really, he was just taking Solomon's advice from Proverbs 20, 26. It says, A wise king scattereth the wicked and bringeth the wheel over them. You know, Solomon should have taken his own advice to scatter the wicked. But unfortunately, he didn't. So maybe it's that. Maybe you need to scatter some people in your life, and there's some people that you're allowing to invest in you that you shouldn't be. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's some other drastic action to correct the bad decisions that have led to sin in your life. But whatever it is, do it. Contend. Fight to get right and to stay right. How bad do you want it? 
How bad do you want a proper relationship with God? How bad do you want to lead your family so that they speak the language of God instead of the language of the world? How important is it to you? Because if it's important enough, you will fight. You will fight for your kids. You will fight for your family. You will fight for your church. Even in Nehemiah, this was their charge. Nehemiah 4.14, this is my favorite verse in the book. And he says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your houses. We need men that are willing to do that. According to God's word, Nehemiah told them to do do two things do two things. Remember the Lord and fight. And listen, this is the right fight. There are a lot of wrong fights, but this is the right one. And the right fight we should be engaging in is a fight for and not a fight against. You see, there are many things we can be fighting against today. We see it everywhere. Everybody is fighting something. And I, listen, I understand that in our Christian walk, there's an, there is some inevitability to that. We do have to fight against our flesh. We're commanded to do that biblically. And, and maybe we'll be forced to fight against unbiblical government mandates one day. Who knows? But until we are put in that position, let's spend as much time fighting for our brethren, for our sons, for our daughters, for our wives, for our houses, for our churches. Let's fight for them. Let's fight for getting people into them. Let's fight for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Let's fight to get them into the kingdom of God. Let's fight for God to get glory out of each and every one of us. Let's fight for our fellowship so that we don't allow cracks and fissures. That is what we should be fighting. Fight for it. It's worth fighting for. Let's not fight on Facebook. Let's certainly not fight each other. Let's fight for each other. And then next, after you contend and after you fight, you have to go back to the book and just self-counsel or get good counsel from someone else. Because what did Nehemiah do to show them they're wrong? We already talked about it. He reminded them of Solomon. He used a biblical example. He took them back to the Bible. And in today's world, there are so many Christians that want to go to the world to get help when they make bad decisions. Instead of going to the book, and the world's way sounds better, and it feels better, and it smells better, and it tastes better. But listen, that's a grave mistake. Because the world hates you. The world is your enemy. And Isaiah tells us to be careful what we get from, I, get from it. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. Man, that describes the church so much. Egypt is a picture of the world. And he says, woe to them that goes to Egypt for help. You, listen, you've taken counsel, but you're not taking it of me. 
You're walking right into Egypt and taking that counsel. And he says, therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, the strength of the world of Egypt, that will be your shame, and the trust that you have in the shadow of Egypt, that will be your confusion. You want to know why nothing makes sense today? Even in the church, and, and, and people are trying to figure out this life, and, and you, look at, you look at the decisions they make, and you're like, what in the world? I, I mean, this doesn't make any sense at all. It's because Isaiah 30, verse 3. That is why nothing makes sense. Because they're running to Egypt, and they're getting counsel. And God said, all right, well, that's going to be to your confusion. And so they're confused. It's all confusion. I mean, we talked about it multiple times, just the issues around our kids and sexuality and gender and just confusion after confusion. That's, what a mess. And you think the world has something good to offer? It hates you. Don't love it. Please learn this truth. You will get confused. And you'll think that your pastor sounds wrong. And you'll think that serving the Lord doesn't sound like that good of an idea. And the more that you learn and the more that you hear in the church, you're like, I don't know. They're not really doing that right. I think maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. It's just confusion. That's all the world is going to give you. And it's so subtle. The world sounds good. The books that they write, they sound good. But if you line them up with what God's Word says, you're going to find that nearly every single one of them are absolutely no good. Just go by the book. I'm not saying that there's not other resources that aren't valuable, but most of them aren't that you find in the world. That's why we're trying to put them out here through Living Faith Books to provide resources that don't go against God's Word, that back up God's Word. That's the only place that there's answers. That's it. Don't get fooled. Go back to the book. That's where the answers are. And then once you go back to the book and get the right answers, you have to put them in place and get back to proper worship. So the third step to correction is to cleanse. Look at verse 30. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. They had to be cleansed so that they could get back to worship. The priests had abandoned their jobs in the temple and the people had abandoned their jobs with tithes and offerings, so they had to set up the wood offering again. And the wood offering was literally that, people that would bring the wood that they used for the animal sacrifices. There, people were appointed to bring wood as an offering to the Lord for that purpose and they weren't doing it anymore. They weren't making sacrifices and because of that, the worship of the Lord wasn't happening. And listen, our worship is always going to suffer when we're in sin. Like, you can't do it. But that's what, we've learned that. We've learned the, that's the best, Code's definition of worship is the best I've ever heard. And, and, and you have to have the adoration, but you have to have the right actions. And when we make these bad decisions in our life and we sin, the only answer is to repent 
and to cleanse yourself, like Paul says, 2 Corinthians 7.1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, everything you learn in chapter 6, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then that will refuel your relationship with God. You see, if you quit bringing the wood, there's no fire. There are many believers today whose fire has gone out and the Holy Spirit has been quenched in their life because they quit bringing the wood and there's no longer worshiping in their life. And they quench the Holy Spirit in the process. And the only way to get out of that mess is the same way you got into it. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Only this time, you make the right ones. Even if you don't feel like it, you do it anyway. What do feelings have to do with it? Show up to your church when the doors are open. Spend time with the Lord every day. Commit to learning and growing. Whatever decisions you need to make to get that fire back, why don't you make them tonight? Don't waste another day. Because there's no doubt that your decisions will affect your family, they will affect your faith, and they will affect your future in both good ways and bad. Why don't you make a good decision tonight to serve him with the rest of your life? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the time we've had this week. And, and I pray for what's still to come tomorrow morning. Pray for Lee and and closing it out, and just the time we'll have with the kids, and so that'll be a great joy. But, but Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that needs to make a decision, that they'll do that. And Lord, that the, they won't let this night pass, that the, the, they won't get with you and repent and cleanse themselves, and according to your word, let the water of the word wash them clean as they repent. And Lord, that they would move, remove themselves from the things of this world and invest their life in committing the, your word into the souls of men. And, and Lord, I just, I just pray for each person here tonight. And, and um, Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, man, I pray that your Holy Spirit convicts them now to, to, to meet you tonight. And, and Lord, I just, um, just want to thank you. I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for what you continue to do. I want to thank you for who you are. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity that I've had to be up here this week. And Lord, you're so good. You are a good father, and, and Lord, help us to see that. And even in the times of, that we disappoint you, man, we, we learned this week um, how you will receive us gladly if we come back the right way and we come back in repentance. So, Lord, there's anyone that needs to do that tonight. I pray, I pray that they do just that. Lord, I love you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think we're going to sing a final song. And listen, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think about invitations. Um, I would just invite you. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have some pastors up here, and, and you can talk to them if you need. But I would invite you um, to do whatever it is that the Lord has for you to do. And if you need to talk to someone tonight, if you need someone to pray with you tonight to get you back kind of resettled on where you need to be, why don't you just come forward and talk to someone, and I'm sure we'll have some guys up here that would love to pray you. But we're going to sing, why don't we go ahead and stand? And don't let the people next to you, if you need to get out of your aisle, just move out, of, just move, just, people will move out of the way. I know it's tight quarters, but they'll move out of the way. Let's just do what God's asking of us, and let's respond to him tonight.